I said, we're going to jump in this morning, and we're going to talk about baptism. So I'm going to pray, and then we will jump in and get to work. So please uh, bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. God, today is a great day of celebration. Today is a great day to make much of you and who you are and your love and grace and mercy and the way you call us back to yourself, the way you redeem and you take what is broken and lost and you make all things new. Um, God, as we gather this morning, we do so to hear from you, to engage with you. We're here today because of you um, and because of how good you are. And so, Lord, as we open up your word, I pray that you would speak to us, challenge us, encourage us, let your word of God do in us and through us what it was made to do. God, we thank you for this opportunity to gather and worship you. As I preach, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be glorifying to you. We pray these things because of Jesus' name, his name. Amen. Normally, uh, I would read a passage of the Bible. We're going to get to Mark in a little bit. What I want to do is read, since we're using the church covenant as our jumping off point, uh, I'm going to read through it once, and then we will kind of go in and focus on what we are talking about today. So the church covenant reads like this. We recognize God's grace in saving us and express our gratitude for Christ's sacrifice on the cross and the Spirit's work in our hearts. We recognize God's will in bringing us together and uniting us into one congregation as partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. We affirm our covenant with God and each other to grow in becoming like Christ and proclaiming Christ. By God's grace, we strive to live according to our baptism, considering ourselves dead to sin, alive to God in Christ Jesus, and walking by the spirit and newness of the resurrected life. We will not neglect to meet together. We will love one another in deed and in truth. We will use the Spirit's gifts for the common good. We will give cheerfully and generously. We will pray together and for one another. We will submit to one another and to the leadership of the church as it is pleasing to the Lord. We request to be accountable in our pursuit of biblical discipleship and welcome exhortation to repent of sin and align our lives with the gospel. We understand that unrepentant and persistent sin grieves the Lord and will lead to the exclusion from this congregation. If we leave this congregation, we will do so for biblical reasons and in timely and honest communication with the elders and members of the church. We will support this congregation in the ministry of advancing the gospel in our community and the world as the Spirit leads and Scripture commands. We will uphold this church's doctrine, practice, values, and goals. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. So again, we're going to focus this morning on that third paragraph. We affirm our covenant with God and each other in growing and becoming Christ-like and proclaiming Christ. By God's grace, we strive to live according to our baptism, considering ourselves dead to sin, alive to God in Christ Jesus, and walking by the Spirit and newness of the resurrected life. The mission statement of Christian Fellowship is becoming Christ-like and proclaiming Christ. Um, and we are going to do a much deeper dive into those five words in a few weeks, so I don't want to steal future team's thunder, um, but we will spend just a few minutes talking about that. Basically, every gospel-believing church has the same mission, to proclaim the good news of Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection for the forgiveness of our sins so that some may be saved, and to see those people grow as disciples, as followers of Christ. Every gospel-believing, Bible-believing, Jesus-loving church has the same mission. We all just express it differently. At the core of what we do, this church exists to proclaim Christ and to see people grow in their relationship with him. 
That's why we do what we do across the board, the ministries, the events, everything comes back to this mission of proclaiming Christ and becoming Christ-like. And so if you are a member of CF or you're considering becoming a member of CF, that is at the core of the commitment that you want to be actively involved in growing in your own relationship with Jesus and proclaiming Christ with your words, with your life in this community. It's about taking what you have received from God in him saving you and calling him back to yourself and responding to it. And one of the ways we respond to the saving grace of God is to be baptized. By God's grace, we strive to live according to our baptism, considering ourselves dead to sin, alive to God in Christ Jesus, and walking by the Spirit in newness of a resurrected life. So let's talk about baptism. What is baptism? It is a command from Christ. We see it um, in Matthew 28 and verse 19 and 20. Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is known as the Great Commission. This is Jesus' last instruction to his disciples, his followers, that also applies to us. And he tells them, Go, make disciples, and baptize. Baptism is a command and ordinance of the Lord Jesus to be performed in making disciples until Christ returns. It is by our faith that we are tied and united to Christ. Faith is the means by which we are united to Christ and justified. But we show that faith, we say that faith, we signify and symbolize that faith with the act of baptism. Faith unites us to Christ. Baptism symbolizes that union. The word baptize or baptized or baptizing, wherever you see that in the New Testament, is the word baptizo. It means literally to dip or immerse. So literally, it is the immersion of a person underwater. There is what's known as paedobaptism when you get baptized as an infant or a young child, and often that's a dripping of water on the child's head or a pouring of like a cup of water on their head. But the word is literally dip or immerse. So here at CF, that's what we do. We do a full immersion into the water. It is an external response to what God has done internally in us. It is a response to what he has done in our lives. It is a public, powerful public declaration for the Christian that they are united and intertwined with Christ. As Paul wrote in Galatians, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's what the believer is signifying in being baptized. So let's talk a little bit about what baptism is not. Baptism is not a means of salvation. It does not save you. It comes after salvation. It is a response to what Christ has done for you. In the same way that Christ died and went into the tomb, so the believer goes into the water. The tomb didn't hold Jesus. The grave didn't hold Jesus. He rose from the grave. And so you come in baptism, you go underwater, and you rise out of the water. And what does water do? It washes things away. And so symbolically, it reminds us that we have been washed clean of our sins through our union with Jesus in his death and resurrection. It is a symbol, a reminder, a tangible, teachable moment and event to point us back to Jesus, who lived perfectly, died painfully, and rose from the dead victorious. And again, regardless of when your baptism happens, as an infant, a teenager, an adult, the act of being baptized does not save you, nor does it give you some kind of special access to God. If you have not truly repented of your sins, placed your faith in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of those sins, it doesn't matter when or how or where you were baptized. It only matters if it actually means something, if it actually comes in a response to what God is doing, to the grace of God in your life. 
So why do we do baptism? I'm going to give you three reasons. Number one, it's an act of obedience to God. We've kind of already heard that, is that Jesus commanded it. That in itself is enough reason to do it. Jesus said, do it, so we should. And some think that doing something strictly out of obedience is a bad thing or a lifeless thing. And yes, that can be true if your heart isn't in the right place. If your end goal in obedience is winning, then yeah, it's going to be just a lifeless act, just a thing you do. We see in Luke 15, as Jesus tells the parable of the prodigal son, there are two brothers. One of them goes off and squanders his inheritance and comes back. And when he is welcomed back into the family, the father welcomes him, embraces him, slaughters the the fatted calf, throws a huge party for the entire town to come. And his older brother comes from working in the field, hears that this party is being thrown for his younger wild brother, and he is angry and bitter. He's mad because in his mind, he did everything the right way. He stayed home. He played nice. He followed the rules. He did the right thing, and never was he celebrated in the same way. But what he revealed in his anger was that his obedience wasn't about a love or care for his father, but rather a way of trying to earn the adulation of his father, trying to win his father's affection. But when our obedience comes from a genuine place, a place of trust and love, the act of obeying itself will then have a deep joy and life and fruit will come from it. And so we baptize and we get baptized as an act of obedience to God out of love and trust in him. In Acts 2, Peter preaches an impromptu sermon walking through the reality of who Jesus is and what happened to him and how he was rejected by the synagogue and by many people and that out of hate and jealousy and blindness to the scriptures, he was arrested, beaten, and executed. But in doing so, he who knew no sin became sin so that you and I might become the righteousness of God. Jesus died on the cross, suffering and dying in our, for our sins in our place, paying the penalty that our, the punishment that we deserve, that we have earned through our rebellion against God. And he rose from the dead. He defeated death. He declared his power and authority over all of existence and is now seated at the right hand of the Father, waiting for the day for him to return to reign and rule forever and ever as king. And when the people heard Peter's sermon, it says in Acts 2.37, Now when when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then if you skip down to verse 41, it says, Those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. How do we respond to what God has done for us? How do we respond to what Jesus did? Repent and be baptized. Turn away from your sin and be baptized. Let go of the things that you think you have control, but are really controlling you. Admit your need for a Savior. Believe that Jesus is the Son of God who died on a cross for your sins. Choose him to be your Lord and Savior. And then publicly declare that in baptism is a response to what God has done in your life. We baptize and we get baptized out of an obedience to God. The second reason is we do it as a public declaration of our faith and joining into the community of believers, the Big C Universal Church. Because baptism is a public thing. It is a way of publicly declaring and identifying yourself with Christ. It probably was the thing that helped identify who was and wasn't in the church body and who was and wasn't baptized in the early days 
who was or wasn't baptized in the early days of the church was probably the thing that kind of signified membership. Membership of a church is not really a New Testament thing, but you see Paul and Peter write about those who are with us and outside of us. So there was clearly something that delineated us and outside of us. That thing was probably baptism. Everybody saw it. Everybody knew it. Everybody knew what was happening. It's an open profession of your faith and allegiance to Jesus and that desire to live a life that glorifies and magnifies him. It's a way of saying to other Christians, here's what I believe, here's who I claim to be. And it's an invitation for others to watch and to pay attention to that, watch and pay attention to that person's life and to speak into, the, into that life when they see that person going astray, when they see that person walking counter to the faith they claim to have. Paul writes in Colossians 2, he says, In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Just as circumcision was a mark of the covenant for the Israelites in the Old Testament days, now baptism is the mark that unites us with Christ. It is a way to declare your unity to your brothers and sisters throughout time and throughout the world in the family of God. And so we do this. We get baptized and we baptize as a public declaration of our faith and a joining of the universal church. And number three, we do it as a way to identify ourselves with Christ. Baptism symbolizes a believer's decision to identify and align ourselves with Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection. And you know who modeled for us that first? Jesus himself. And so that's when we're in Mark 1. I told you we'd get to Mark eventually. In Mark 1, starting at verse 4, it says, John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes one who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. We get this introduction to a man named John. And this introduction is intentionally an allusion to past days. It is an allusion to the prophet Elijah. The camel's hair, the leather belt, it's a reminder to Elijah. He was an Old Testament prophet. You can read about him if you're looking for something to study this week. First and second Kings, great stories, uh, great reminders of God moving in tangible ways. And you'll see the prophet Elijah show up. He was the poster boy for what a prophet was, a person who speaks the word of God on behalf of God to the people of God, calling them, usually calling them to repentance. Throughout the Bible, he is the symbolic representation of the prophets. And to set the scene here in Mark, it's been 400-something years of silence at this point. There have been no prophets, no judges, no people proclaiming the word of the Lord. The Spirit of God doesn't seem to exist on the earth anymore. And then out of nowhere almost, it seems like this man is out in the wilderness reminding people of the prophets of old. And along with the unique clothing and dietary lifestyle, John is calling people to be baptized. Baptism was such a strong part of John's ministry. At one point, he's just known as the baptizer. He doesn't even have a name anymore. He's called to, he calls people to baptism. He appeared baptizing in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. This was not a normal part of culture. The only time a Jewish person had to be completely cleaned, completely fully immersed, 
was if you were defiled, if you like came in contact with a dead person or something of like that. Leviticus 15 lists out a bunch of reasons why you would have to go and fully immerse yourself. Or if you were a Gentile who was entering into the Jewish uh, faith system. So for John to call people into baptism, including the Jewish people who are showing up from Jerusalem and Judea, he was in essence, in essence saying, look, you are defiled. You are not clean. You are not right with God. We see from verse 5 that this message of repentance and baptism was striking a chord because people are coming from all over the place. This message is one of repentance, to change your way of thinking. You were thinking one way, now repent and change your direction. That's literally what it means. Repent is to turn in the opposite direction. Go the opposite way. You were walking one way, turn around and go the other way. In other Gospels, we know that this did not sit well with the authorities. In Matthew's Gospel, the Pharisees show up when John is baptizing and he tells them, look, you are not as holy as you might think you are. You need repentance as well. This, you are not as set apart as you think you are. It's one of the many things that made the authorities angry and made John an outcast and ultimately leads to his death. Because, you see, the Jewish people thought and saw themselves as right with God just by default. I mean, they had the bloodline. They could trace their lineage back to Abraham. They were God's people. They had the law. They had the bloodline. They, they were the ones. And yet this guy eating bugs and honey out in the desert says, no, you need help. You need to repent. You're not right with God. But nevertheless, God's people were coming out of the wilderness in which John himself is saying, look, there's something new happening here. To come to the wilderness, to come to the Jordan was something new being started for the Israelites. He appears in the wilderness, and the people are coming to the wilderness, to the Jordan River. Both of those locations have significant meaning for the Israelites. Because the wilderness is where God's people grew up. It's where they learned what it meant to be humble and dependent on God, what it meant to be led by God. It's where they received the law, where they were etched out as the people of God. It was hard and scary. The wilderness was this place where if they didn't trust God, they weren't going to make it. And the Jordan River was... The final obstacle standing in Israel's way to the promised land, to the land God set apart for them. They had to cross to get to Canaan, and God performed a miracle so they could cross the river so they could enter the place God had set aside for them. And now, hundreds and hundreds of years later, after all of that has happened, God is once again calling them back to the wilderness, back to the Jordan River, to be made into a new people calling them to enter into the river, to walk into the water once again and see God move in, only, in a way only he can, to be welcomed into the family of God. But that call doesn't start in the cities. It starts in the wilderness. The wilderness is also shorthand for where they would basically send the undesirables, the sick, the outcasts, the poor, the needy, the lost, the broken, the refugees. It's where they went to live. The people's society kicked out and said, we don't have time for you. You're not one of us. You're not normal enough. You're not good enough. Get out. We don't want anything to do with you. Go be with your own kind. John shows up to those people, to the outcasts and the outliers, and he is preaching, confess, repent, and get ready because something new is happening. There's a new beginning on its way, and you need to be ready. The message of the hope of the gospel doesn't start in the synagogues with the church folk. It starts amongst the poor and the broken and the weak. That's where things start anew for God's people, out amongst the wild, where normal is anything but. And so now after all these years of silence, this messenger of God is proclaiming a new beginning, is coming from the coming and calling people to the wilderness. And he says, there is one greater than I who is going to show up. 
And he does in verse 9. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. The one that was promised, the one that John had been telling the people about, the Messiah shows up. But he doesn't show up with great fanfare and applause. He doesn't have trumpets blaring. He shows up and walks into the water and he allows John to baptize him. But this baptism is different than all the rest. It's different than the one that's about to happen here this morning because of who was getting baptized. John preached that his, was, his baptism was about repenting of sin, getting ready for the arrival of the Messiah. But now the Messiah is here and he has no sin to repent of. So why is Jesus getting in the muddy waters? Why let himself partake in something clearly meant for those who had sinned? Why does Jesus get baptized? Because of who he was and what he came to do. Verse 8, John said, I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This Holy Spirit baptism this that comes from the forgiveness of sins, these things that John proclaims will happen through the Messiah. That's why Jesus is in the waters. His baptism signifies that his mission, his main purpose of coming to earth is to endure the judgment of God on behalf of the people. Through his baptism, he is declaring the forgiveness that you seek, the repentance you are proclaiming, the relationship with God that you long for. It can only happen through me and through what I have come to do, to go to the cross and die and absorb the full and complete wrath of God in place of the people. Jesus was able to do this because, yes, Jesus is fully God, but he was also fully human. Human in every way, tempted in every way, but without sin. And so he was able to suffer and die for us. His baptism shows he was human. He was one of us. And he was willing to identify himself with us, with the weak and the broken, the outcast, the sick. His baptism is among many, many things declaring to us his humanity. Him identifying himself with us, with the very ones he created and came to save. And so Jesus is baptized, and we see, not only is he baptized, but we see that his baptism is very different than other baptisms because there is a reaction from heaven. We see it in verses 10 and 11. When he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. The heavens were being torn open. That's schizo. That's to tear apart. It wasn't that the heavens are just open, but they are being torn open. Um, whenever I think of this word, I think of the difference between the way I open presents and the way my wife opens presents. My wife opens presents. When you give her a wrapped gift, she will take the time to find the, the, the place where the tape is at. She will slide her finger under. It's a whole, like, she's unwrapping the present. It seems like to be able to use the paper again later, like, she is very careful and particular with it. Whereas when I get a present, I will rip that thing open, let's get to the gift real quick, right? There's a difference between what's being open and what's being torn open. When something is open, it can be easily closed. When something is torn open, it can't so easily be shut. Mark is showing us that in Jesus, the barriers of us and God have been torn open. And God is on the loose in our presence. At that time, physically, in the flesh, God with us. And then later, through the Holy Spirit, that all believers are given. And there is a spirit descending like a dove. The dove was a, sea, a frequent symbol of community for Israel. 
Jesus here is taking a stand to represent not only Israel, but anyone who would, play, who would put their faith in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. The people of God, all of the people of God, he stands as our representative. And there's a voice from heaven, God the Father speaking to Jesus as Jesus publicly begins his ministry and in doing so, submitting to the will of the Father to take on the sins of the world. God the Father expresses his delight in the obedience of Jesus. These things happen to affirm who Jesus is for the reader and act as an official launch of his ministry. Jesus didn't become the Son of God at his baptism. He didn't become the Messiah at his baptism, but rather because of who he is. These things happen because of that. God in the flesh, the Messiah set apart to redeem God's people and all of creation back to himself. Because that's who Jesus is. He alone has the power and authority to be our sin substitute on the cross. He alone has the power and authority to, go, to give out the Holy Spirit. In his baptism, Jesus identified with us and taught us that forgiveness that we seek, that we long for, is found in him. In our baptism, we identify with Jesus and declare that we have found our forgiveness and new life in his death, burial, and resurrection. And so we live considering ourselves dead to sin, alive to God in Christ Jesus, and walking by the Spirit in newness of a resurrected life. Those last sentence, that last sentence from the church covenant is pulled directly, basically, from Romans 6. I want to read you a bit of Romans 6 here. As Paul talks about what it means to be dead to sin and alive to God. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like this. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. We are under the grace of God given to us by our faith in Jesus. The baptism we are baptized into is Jesus' death and his raising to new life. We died to sin, so we have no need to live into it, to pursue it, to allow it to control us. It is no longer who we are. By grace, through faith, we are saved from the wrath of God towards sin and instead offered a new right relationship with God, a new life to live here and now. We don't have to keep spinning our tires stuck in the mud and muck of sin that we've been trapped for so long. We don't have to keep trying to get better, do better by sheer force of will. I'm going to just try harder to defeat this sin on my own. We don't have to carry the shame and guilt and fear that comes along with sin. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. If you are in Christ, you have put your faith in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. You are something. You are someone new, not just a fixer-upper. You are a whole new creation, Paul says. The old is gone. That guy, that girl, they don't live here anymore. New life, new heart, new mind, new desires, new, fresh. 
Christian, you have a power inside of you, a hope in you, a victory over sin is possible because you have been washed by the blood of Jesus. What can wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make us whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Our salvation is not just about the future. Yes, we are saved from the wrath of God so we can have an eternity with him. Amen. We are also saved to be a blessing here and now. Our relationship with God matters here and now. Our faith in the gospel matters here and now. We can walk into that newness of life here and now. Jesus said in John 10.10, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Life in excess. That's what the gospel offers for us here and now. A full, abundant life glorifying the Father. To live as someone who considers themselves dead to sin means it is no longer what we desire. No longer what we actively pursue. God is changing us, rewiring our heads and our hearts. Christ died and was buried and raised to life, never to die again. And in baptism, we identify with Christ in that death and are raised from the water, symbolically washed clean of our sin and raised to new life. One in which we seek to live as people who are no longer controlled and drawn to sin, but to pursuing right living that glorifies God and points others to the gospel. To do that, to shine as the light of the world, as we have been called to do, to live as the body of Christ, to be the ambassadors of Christ, to do all of these things that what the marks of what the Christian church, what the Christian is supposed to do in response to the gospel, we're supposed to be in response to the gospel. We can't do it on our own, but rather we walk, we live not out of our own accord and our own righteousness, but by the Holy Spirit and the newness of the resurrected life. It is the Spirit in us, guiding us and leading us and challenging us to pursue Christ to walk into the will of God. Jesus was very intentional and very focused throughout his ministry to say, I need to leave so that the Holy Spirit can come. Because in order for us to do what God made us to do, who he made us to be, to be his sons and daughters, to be the collective family of God, we have to have the Holy Spirit with us. We can't do it on our own. And more than that, we have to be willing and humble enough and wise enough to listen and respond when the Holy Spirit calls us. What's the point of having the Holy Spirit if we don't listen to him, if we don't obey him, if we don't trust him enough to move when he tells us to move? If we don't, we are missing out on the good works God has prepared beforehand for us to walk into. We have to learn to listen, to shut off the noise of this world and let God speak through his word. We have to have this desire in us to learn more of his will, more of his character, more of who he is. Baptism is for us and a chance to identify with Christ to celebrate his death and resurrection, and to acknowledge the new life we have been called into. And it's a chance for us to say to the community, look, this is who I am claiming to be, and if you see me wandering away from this faith, speak into my life, tell me what you see, keep me from the darkness, help me in this. We get to walk by the Spirit, yes, but we also get to walk together as a community of believers, walking alongside one another. I want to finish up with just two quick questions. If you are a believer, if you put your faith in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, if you have been baptized, do you live like it? Do you live in light of the reality of the resurrected life you have been given? If not, run to Jesus, because there is grace to be had through him. If you profess Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you haven't been baptized, why not? I would encourage you to come to him and respond in obedience to the God who made you and knows you and loves you so much he sent his son to die for you.
And this morning, we have someone who's going to do just that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the ways that you show up in our lives. God, we thank you that you are constantly teaching us, constantly showing us yourself, revealing yourself to us. And one of the ways that we have that reminder, you teaching, you pointing us to yourself is through things like baptism, where we get to remember and celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus and the new life we have been called into. God, for those of us who have been baptized, help us to live like it, to walk into the newness of life, to celebrate and live like we have been changed by the gospel. And Lord, if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, who hasn't put their faith in Christ, Lord, I pray that today is the day that they might come to know you as Lord and Savior. They might come to choose you and rest in you and walk with you and find that there is abundant life to be had in you. God, we thank you and praise you. Amen.